Welcome to Talk Radio's Drive Time. I'm Dan Wooten, and we're covering the continuing coronavirus pandemic. Dan's Dispatch on Talk Radio. When the current madness, hysteria and fear eventually fades, we will collectively look back at that moment on March the 18th when the government indefinitely closed schools as one of the biggest errors of the coronavirus crisis. Our education institutions never needed to be shut down. There wasn't a scrap of evidence to suggest it was necessary to stop the march of COVID-19. In fact, study after study from overseas soon proved unequivocally that the spread of the virus at schools was minimal, if not non-existent. I can excuse the caution of Boris Johnson and Gavin Williamson deciding it was better to be safe than sorry in the early days, the early days of an unknown pandemic. But as the weeks turned into months and Generation Corona effectively lost a school year, I will never forgive the militant teaching unions for keeping them shut regardless of the social cost. It was a partisan play designed to damage a Tory government at a time when politics should not have mattered one iota. Unfortunately, the A-Levels mess this week was depressingly inevitable from the moment the school gates slammed shut. A knee-jerk decision to cancel all exams without waiting to see if there was a way they could be sat in a socially distanced manner meant the current crisis was unavoidable. And that situation can never be repeated again. But I'm fearful it's already happening. Coronavirus, and you probably have noticed this in your day-to-day life, is now being used as an excuse not to provide anything slightly difficult or complicated in all areas of our lives. But when it comes to education, the costs of that lazy caution are too great. I don't know about you, but much of the development I experienced at school was down to my social interactions and extracurricular activities, rather than solely what was taught on the blackboard. Yet many schools are intending to use COVID-19 to justify axing breakfast and after-school clubs, banning music lessons and school productions, and stopping sports. It breaks my heart to see these opportunities indefinitely wrested from our youngsters with no scientific evidence to back up why. But it's being caused by a desire from adults to avoid a return to normality. So a new King's College London study this week revealed a majority of the public are supportive of this nightmarish new normal, as it's called. I don't accept this new normal. That's what people call it these days. So 86% of folk believe employees should be able to keep working at home until a vaccine is discovered and administered. (laughs) This is cloud cuckoo land thinking. Look, there's great progress in Russia and great progress at Oxford University, but there's no guarantee that we're going to have a vaccine at all. Here is an unpleasant news flash. COVID is going to be part of our lives for many years. Remember, smallpox is the only infectious disease to ever have been eradicated in the history of the human race. There's only one. And it took about 30 years. Selfish adults can ruin their own lives by giving into irrational hysteria. But they shouldn't be allowed to destroy the fair education of our kids. So... The fight back against militant education unions, box-ticking bureaucrats and cruel social distancing regulations for students must begin today. 
Talk Radio. Across the UK, on DAB Digital Radio and online. Drive Time with Dan Wooden on Talk Radio. So let's debate this now. Francis Gilbert is an education commentator and author of The Mindful English Teacher. He thinks it was the right decision to close schools. And Chris McGovern is the chair of the Campaign for Real Education, who says more schooling should have been available and points out that Sweden never closed its schools. So, Francis, why am I wrong on this? I think that the evidence at the time, and I think it probably remains the case, is that we were at the height of a pandemic. And the scientific evidence was that schools needed to close to... What evidence? To stop. The scientific evidence from yes, the government. Yes, which, science, what, what which evidence? Quite substantive. Quite substantive. And what sorry, if, sorry, sorry. What, what, what evidence if, said that schools should shut? Because every single piece of evidence I've looked at shows quite clearly that schools staying open did not increase the transmission of COVID-19. So, so what evidence well that, do you mean? That, that isn't, you know, what I've, what I read at the time and what I'm looking at. I'm not a scientist, um, but I think it's fair enough for the profession to go on the judgment of the government advisors of the time, which was that they should have closed. The pandemic did go down um, and obviously at the time, and it remains the case, there wasn't a proper sort of testing and tracing system. You know, there was fear. There was where, fear. But, Francis, I think um, we've just got to be very careful when I we talk about this. We, Francis, we I just think we've to, got to be very careful really when we talk about because there's a difference of. between fear be and evidence. Of. What we need to be mindful of is we need to protect the health and we have to have a precautionary principle protecting the health of our teachers and our pupils. And the best evidence of the time was that was the case. And so let's not forget that. You know, it's all very well. To There's go no evidence of of that, but, but, Francis. But there was a huge amount of evidence at the time for it, and I really think there it's wasn't. problematic if we're going to be putting children's and teachers' lives at risk. Which it was very strong at the time, and it, you can remember that. What was that, the that evidence? In March. What in evidence? March, I'm not. I'm not a, a scientific. E- a, a, expert but i think the teaching profession we're following the best advice from the government from the unions from everywhere that they shouldn't yeah, be in Francis, school Francis, that, hold it again, for one minute you know you, you need to get a scientific advisor to i've spoken to them i've spoken to them constantly I'm not, I'm not arguing the toss over that what i am saying is there should be a precautionary principle in place whereby the health of um, our teachers, our pupils, and the parents, and everyone in the community is put first. And that's what happened. Okay, Francis, hold up, hold up, hold up, Francis, let me speak, please. I am very passionate about this because I'm from a family of teachers. My dad is a headmaster in New Zealand. I have looked very closely at all of the evidence from around the world when it comes to schools and getting kids back into schools. There is no evidence. There's a real difference between fear and concern and evidence. But you cannot say that there was evidence back in March to show that teachers' lives would be put at risk because that evidence simply doesn't exist. It does not yeah, exist. Now, I do non- understand... I t- nonsense. It's a nonsense. Well, you can't tell me the evidence. It's absolute nonsense. Now, I know, for example, in Where's the, the evidence? London, where we where we serve where we serve things that teachers actually died um, and, and of C19 because they were going into school. Who? You know, is it, I, you know you're not a scientific Who? expert. I'm not... 
people that were in... What teacher um, died because they went into schools? I'm not going schools. into the personal details of that no, because right Because it doesn't now. exist. But I, well, you can say that, but I think that there's quite a lot of evidence that, you know, many teachers got sick and a lot of the community got sick. There was a very high death rate, we seem to remember. Yes. You know, I do think but we need to have a schools, principle and put the health, the health of pupils and teachers first. When it comes to can schools reopen safely now, absolute crisis. Can schools reopen safely now? Well, I think now. there needs to be a te- proper testing and tracing system in place, which I don't think there is. I think it's highly problematic. Okay, so so, so so Francis, Francis, like let me ask you a question, please, got, Francis. Francis, got, um, this has to be a discussion, Francis. Francis, stop, 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 tracing. Francis needs to be put in place. Francis, you have to listen to me and answer my questions. You can't just keep talking over me because this is a discussion. It's a Q&A. We need to learn from each other. My question to you is this. You want to keep schools shut, even though in this country presently, six times more people are dying of influenza or pneumonia than COVID-19, yet you still want to keep schools shut. Words in my mouth. Well, you're saying you're not comfortable to have it open because there's no test and trace regime. Again, we need to take the best kind of uh, governmental and scientific advice on this. And if there is a proper testing and tracing system in place whereby, you know, if teachers and pupils get sick, there is a real proper strategy whereby it's going to be dealt with. Fine. There is. There is. Have you not read it? I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that the what the current one the government has um, is, is you know fit for purpose. Well, I've read it all, and it's actually one of the most robust systems in the world. But let me bring in Chris McGovern, who is the chair of the campaign for real education. You've heard that discussion, Chris. Can you bring some sanity to the argument, please? Yeah, I mean, clearly Francis is struggling, isn't he, to justify uh, keeping children out of school. Um, you are right. I mean, there isn't any case around the world of a, t- of a teacher being infected by a child. Uh, children are at a minor risk, but they're more likely to be hit by lightning than to be uh, die from a coronavirus. So risks are minimal. We have a lot of people back at work, not just hospital staff. We have a lot of people back at work. We have about four million children who have really suffered under the lockdown. They've had very little support and they're from poor families. It's imperative, therefore, that schools open. I wouldn't uh, compel parents to send their children back to school, but certainly the parents who have contacted our campaign for real education, uh, 100%, they all want the schools open and they don't want any social distancing either. And those parents have to be listened to. So, yeah, Francis can have his way. But what I don't like about this stance of the, of the teacher unions, and I was a trade unionist myself, I sat on the TUC, the, t- the union bosses uh, have been saying that they were name and shame head teachers who opened schools. So a bit of mafia pressure there, I think. Look, uh, Francis has no position. He's, he's speaking for the what we call the blob, the educational establishment. The unions don't even represent the majority of teachers. So let parents decide. Schools should open. Mm-hmm. There may be some individual yeah. teachers. Look, if a, if, a parent, if a parent wants to keep their child at home and homeschool them, that is their right. But look, this is just one of the messages I've received, getting hundreds in on this, uh, Francis. But let me put this to you. It's from G, who says just four individuals below the age of 20 have died from COVID-19. Uh, uh, most of them had pre-existing health conditions. Closing schools was utter madness and has seriously damaged the economic future of many children for the rest of their lives. What do you say to G? 
you know, at the time we were working on a a precautionary principle. This is a government across political thing whereby we felt it was the safest thing based on the scientific advice given. In March, you know, in March, have died. We're now in August. Coronavirus, Um, and you know, it it is a. it is clearly an issue and you need to have a proper testing and tracing system in place in order to, you know, open them with confidence, don't you? If there's an outbreak, um, you need to be able to trace Have you looked, very have, have you looked at our infection numbers? At the moment, they're pretty low, aren't they? But that's possibly because, you know, the schools were closed. I mean, again, I'm not a statistical expert. But Clearly, because because you're just plucking, you're you're, you're, you're plucking. Nor are you. Nor are, you. are you a scientist? No, but I've read. I, I, but I can produce many. I can reduce. You're, I can produce, you're, you're, produce you're, many you're studies. On radio, aren't you? And it, I think you need a proper scientist. Scientist on. You know, clearly, people of working age. Uh, there's two thousand four hundred ninety-four. Do you know what, Francis? People, Francis, it, you in, in, are the ultimate example of people who are wanting to scare people unnecessarily. I think it's highly irresponsible, actually, because I'm, because you, because you pluck you just pluck fear out of thin air that doesn't exist. What's what's well? I'm just reading the government statistics of the government rest, uh, uh, website right now. Go on. Total of total of nine two thousand four hundred ninety four deaths of of people of working age, um, and the number the highest higher rate um, were in the social care um, situations. Yes, yeah, so what does there that were, prove? There have been teachers. There have been teachers who've died of um, C nineteen. But obviously, it's a long way off. We don't know exactly what's happened. But I would say the precautionary principle that was in place in March was. The right one to do. Okay, in March, in March, Francis, in March, a lot has changed since then, and yet you're still saying the schools aren't ready to open. The argument was about what what happened in March, wasn't it? Whether they should have closed or not, and I would say, based on you know what advice teachers were given at the time, that was the right thing to do, wasn't it? Now we don't know. No, I don't think it was. It's a very new. I don't think it was. Yeah, that's your personal opinion. It is. That was the advice given by the government. It was given across the field. And I think that precautionary principle in play, which is the idea that, you know, you put safety first, um, that was the right thing to do, wasn't it? And well, as I said, as I said, Francis, down, as I said, Francis, time, Francis, you're doing the same thing again. You're just talking and you're not letting me chip in. OK, we're having a discussion. You're on the show for a discussion. So let me chip in, please. As I said in my dispatch, I can excuse a little bit of caution uh, from Boris Johnson and Gavin Williamson in the very, very early days of the pandemic. But the weeks turned into months and now Generation Corona, as they referred to, have effectively lost an entire school year. And I will never forgive the militant teaching unions for keeping them shut with no evidence to back it up because schools all around the world have opened up without any issues. And I think it's partisan. I think it's political. I think you want to damage the government. And I think kids are becoming pawns in a very sick game. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. 
So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, let's not forget it was the government that actually shut the schools, wasn't it? It wasn't the union. I, so I made I that think point. I, I find it I highly that problematic point. that we're getting into a sort of more teacher bashing here. You know, teachers. I'm not bashing teachers. Off. I'm bashing their you unions. Are, well, the people that make up the unions are teachers, and they're hard. Well, I am bashing teachers, them, aren't they? Yeah, they're hardworking teachers. No, they're not. They're union sitting on their bums saying we're not going back to work. Absolute misrepresentation of what uh, people in unions do. They join unions to protect their rights, don't they? It's what all natural democracies... The full-time union negotiators are not teachers anymore. And I don't think we should be getting into teacher bashing at all. I think we should be learning from what happened. My parents are teachers. I I love teachers. I'm not bashing them. Clearly, clearly, the way to move forward with this is to set, get a good testing and tracing system in place. There isn't con- confidence across the board that that has happened. Um, let's hope it does soon. And Chris I McGovern, it was highly- Chris McGovern, it's very clear when you listen to Francis Gilbert, isn't it? He doesn't want schools to reopen because he's putting this totally impossible catch which is that we have to have the best test and trace regime in the world. By the way, Chris, there's no test and trace regime anywhere in the world that is working completely effectively at the moment. So can you, uh, Chris, just explain why it's actually safe for schools to open up now? Well, we could look at Sweden, of course. They've got actually a lower death rate from, than us uh, per million, and, and they've, got, they've never closed the schools. It is very helpful to have Francis talking because, you know, we are combating this attitude on a yeah. daily basis. And for yes. your listeners, Francis, th- there's every reason he will give for keeping the schools closed. We, he'll go to the supermarket, he'll applaud the National Health Service, but he's encouraging teachers not to take any risks at all. Actually, can um, I, Chris, just hold that thought one second. Francis, can I just ask you a question? It's a bit of a personal question, but have you gone to any pubs or restaurants over the past two months? I'm not answering personal questions. Again, we're not getting into... I think I'm really worried about this debate uh, descending into personal um, attacks. And what we're talking about is the principles of this, aren't we? And the okay. So you're happy are, to go you know, to the pubs and the restaurants, but you want to keep the invited, kids out of school. What, what I was invited on to do was discuss why the um, I felt that it was the right thing to shut the schools in March. And, and that... that I, I'm still arguing the case that we've taken advice from the government and that the precautionary principle was in place. OK, Francis, thank you. Right Chris, final word to you. Look, I sat on the TUC. I'm a trade unionist. I support trade unions. But it's imperative that we look at the point of view of children. Where are the children in this? It's the interests of the children we should be protecting. We're not going to force middle-class parents to send their kids back if they can do a good job at home. I work with kids, though, in, in failing schools, and the parents can't read or write. They can't help their children. So for once, we need to put the children first. And if we're going to do that, we have to have the schools open. It's as simple as that. Talk Radio. Drive Time with Dan Wooden. 
on Talk Radio. And Whittacombe writes in her brilliant Daily Express column, Dawn Butler, the Labour MP, Wales, that being stopped by the police was a case of racial profiling. I've been stopped by the police several times. In my student days, I drove an ancient Morris Minor and was often on the road between Oxford and the parental home in Surrey at the sort of ungodly hours of the night which students are apt to keep. Perhaps I should have called it youth profiling when perfectly polite officers stopped me. It has happened on various occasions since and I've never thought it was unreasonable. The police are there to do a job and I'd rather feel they had the confidence to do it than they should be put off by political correctness. Anne Whittacombe, the former Conservative Home Office Minister and Daily Express columnist, joins me now. And it's a controversial debate, this one, isn't it? But here's the issue. The police say that the windows of the car that Dawn Butler was driving in were tinted, so they had no idea of her ethnicity. Um. I wouldn't know whether uh, that is so or not. What I do know is that if the police ever believe that they have reason to stop a car, uh, and it might be any one of a number of reasons, but if they believe they have that reason, they've got to feel if they're going to do their job. And we're always saying, you know, oh, the police are too light on burglary and the police don't do this and the police don't do that. If they're to do their job, They've got to have the confidence to be able to say, I'm going to stop this car, uh, and whether the person driving it is white, black, young, old, gay, straight, whatever it may be, uh, I feel that I'm able to do that. The police have got to think, not think, oh dear, I wonder who is driving that car. And of course, any time the police pull any of us over, it's an annoyance. Yeah. No one wants to be pulled over by the police. But it's an acceptance, isn't it, that we're all part of this system. And in some ways, if we're pulled over, it shows the system is working. What's so fascinating about Dawn Butler's complaint is she thinks the complete opposite. She thinks the fact that she was pulled over shows that the system is not working, that it's systemically racist. Well, I think that is a nonsense. We get the same claims made when the police do stop and search, for example. Yes. Um, of, of, you know, people on foot whom they believe they've got reason to stop and search. And they've got to be able to feel free to do that. Uh, and they've got to be able to use their own judgment and not immediately be confronted by people airing grievances and claiming that it's all because of their ethnicity or whatever it might be. Uh, and I do feel that very strongly. And I've been stopped by the police. I've never resented it. They've never been anything other than polite. And they had good reason to stop me. Um, I remember once when I was a student driving the Morris Minor that I refer to. Uh, of course, in those days, men quite often had long hair. So they probably thought they were driving up behind a long haired bloke driving an old banger at three o'clock in the morning. And they just had a burglary reported and they stopped me. And I said, no, I'm terribly sorry. I haven't burgled anybody. And they laughed. But they had a right to stop me, surely. The issue that we now have, Anne, as well, is that the advent of all of this mobile technology means everyone is filming the police at yes. work. And it feels like they, at times, in the case of Dawn Butler or people like Dawn Butler, that maybe they're looking for the police to actually have done something wrong. But let's have a little listen to this clip of, of Dawn Butler 
that she recorded the police where they did seem to be perfectly polite and I'll get you to react off the back. If you're just profiling people who are driving outside the area, I think that's a ridiculous reason to stop. No, I'm, I'm if you're profiling people who are driving a certain type of car, no, that's an inappropriate reason to stop. And if you're profiling people because of the colour of their skin, that's an inappropriate reason that's, to stop. No, that's that's so, now uh, the thing is this, I've already explained, I've had yep. no reason, I've, I've got no concern with how uh, the officer stopped me, yep. it's very polite. What I'm questioning is the reason for the stop, and that worries me. And then one of the issues is that Dawn Butler is, of course, allowed to release and post to the world and then have yep. it run all over the media, this clip. But the police that actually did have body cams on have been yep. told that they're not able to release their footage showing the entire incident. Yes, and, and that is one of the problems, um, and they should be able to do that. Uh, and very often we find confidentiality rules, data protection, uh, whatever it may be, all work one way. Uh, and uh, to my mind, if somebody has said the police were unreasonable, if they've actually said that, then at that point, the police should be able to release all the footage. And if, if one side can release the footage, the other side should be able to release the footage. Exactly, because it's fair. I mean, and increasingly, I feel like the police are just coming under attack from all angles. And we saw that disturbing foot, uh, that disturbing research uh, released yesterday. Well, actually, sorry, it's not research, it's hard statistics showing that attacks on Met police officers over the past three months have increased by 37%. I'm talking physical attacks, yeah. assault. And uh, we had Ken Marsh from the Met Police Federation on yesterday, and he thinks that it's no coincidence that this increase in attacks comes at the same time as the protests over coronavirus and the protests over Black Lives Matter. Yes. I mean, if people feel that they can protest with impunity, and we should remember the the scenes of people pulling down statues, that's an act of vandalism. doesn't matter what the motive is, it's an act of vandalism. Uh, People pulling down statues and the police just standing by and watching. Uh, And therefore, people think, oh, you know, it's all right. They can't actually do very much. Um, You know, and we don't like them, so we'll attack them. Uh, And unless somebody is acting in self-defense, there is never any reason at all to attack a police officer. Do you worry that lawlessness is on the rise? Oh, it's been on the rise for a long time. Um, I think what we've got now is is a horrible combination. Uh, Lawlessness is on the rise. Um, Drug offences are becoming very serious indeed, and the police don't really have the mechanisms for dealing with them. Uh, So we've got that going on. But we've also got a very overstretched, undermanned police force, which, again, is the accumulation of years. It's not something that suddenly just happened. Uh, And uh, that combination means that police have to prioritise, which in turn means that there are certain things they're not actually spending much time on. Uh, And that is a a very dangerous situation. But the most dangerous thing of all is for people to believe um, that they can just attack the police uh, and that it won't be treated as something uh, very serious. And there was a time when if you attacked a police officer or a prison officer, uh, you were at risk of much higher penalty than if you attacked anybody else, because we accept that we send those specific groups on a daily basis to deal with people who are violent. We accept that, that that is what we do. Therefore, we owe them added protection. I think it would be very popular 
if this government did crack down on law and order? Well, I think it would. I'm not only popular. I mean, I think it's what they should do anyway. I think it would be moral, not just popular. I mean, I have uh, made documentaries in the past about ordinary citizens living in places where their lives are made a daily misery. They can't go out after six o'clock at night. All around them, there's violence and vandalism and thuggery and drug dealing. And they're, they're, they just, you know, they are what I always called when I was in the House of Commons, the forgotten decent. And so it would be a moral thing to clap down on law and order. And let me say right now... Um, that if we were to get on top of the drugs menace, that accounts for 30% of all crime and for about 80% of all acquisitive crime. We'd make a completely disproportionate impact on the crime figures if we just had the guts to go to war on drugs. No, absolutely. And I just want to ask you quickly before you go about uh, one other issue that you raised in your column, which is the terrible way that the BBC are now treating older folk. And we've obviously seen it with the licence fee. But you also point out that eggheads, you know, that very popular quiz on the BBC has been dropped because apparently the audience is too old. And you say that's another case of the corporation writing off 12 million pensioners as not being worth catering for. Tell but me a little bit about your anger. But they're still required to pay the licence fee. Now, of course, I'm not saying that 12 million pensioners all watch eggheads or all watch any particular programme, but it's the fact that it can be given as a reason that, oh, the audience is too old, that that could ever be a reason, given that there are 12 million pensioners, uh, for just uh, uh, scuppering something that is very popular and that has been very successful. Um, and, uh, of course, I was raising it because I happen to enjoy eggheads very much. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's an outrage. It's an outrage. And the irony with this whole thing, Anne, is that older folk remain very loyal to the BBC. And actually, it's young people that aren't really that interested anyway. Yet the BBC is so craven that they're desperate to please these people that are much more interested in Netflix or TikTok or whatever else. And I think that has been the case for a very long while. The BBC is always looking to be what it calls edgy, um, which generally isn't uh, anything more than more violence, more sex, more, more you know, anti-authority, more whatever it may be, wants yeah. to be edgy. Um, now, who wants to be edgy? Uh, you know, is it the young? I doubt it. I think they're off finding their own edge, quite honestly. <laughs> Talk Radio. Across the UK, on DAB Digital Radio and online. Drive Time with Dan Wooden on Talk Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I should tell you to subscribe to this podcast because in these times of national corona crisis, we're still going to be with you every day on Talk Radio, breaking news on the virus, bringing you the most important newsmakers with practical advice you really need to know and hearing your opinions too. I'm not allowing any hysteria, but I would love you to contribute and tune in live every day too for so much more on Talk Radio between 4pm and 7pm every day. Talk to you tomorrow.